Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we've there's been a lot of work to do on this offseason guard primer. Arguably one of the more important positions that the Knicks need to look to address during this offseason. And Gavin, today we are finishing off our series on offseason guard targets with potential trade targets. Yeah, there's a certain disgruntled guy in Utah uh, you, you may have heard about. It is not Rudy Gobert that the Knicks could be targeting. And then uh, two young stars in Oklahoma City and San Antonio that might pique the Knicks' interest. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online where the game starts. We want to thank you guys too for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your podcast platform of choice or if you're checking out our faces on YouTube every day. We appreciate you guys taking in Locked On Knicks as, as one of the first things you do every single day. And I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And Gavin, you you referred to our first trade target uh, as disgruntled in uh, the the open there. I think our boss, David Locke, if earlier this season is any indication, would say, no, he's very gruntled, (laughs) quote Michael Scott. Uh, You know, there's nothing to worry about with Donovan Mitchell. But I I was hoping you were going to phrase it that way. (laughs) Yeah, I was (laughs) – uh, you know, you and I, we've watched enough of The Office that we never cease to let a, a reference pass us by. But yeah, I mean, that's the first guy we want to talk about today, right? And it's uh, the case is being made more interesting. And there's, you know, there's already been, I believe, some reporting out there. There's been sort of loose reporting out there for a while now that if Utah sort of flames out again and this this Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert built team doesn't prove that they can have success in the playoffs that, you know, Mitchell might be the guy that would look to, you know, make his way out of Utah. Uh, As again, I will paraphrase our boss, David Locke with like, why the hell would he want to go to New York? You know, if he's trying to find more playoff success, why go to the team that's only made the playoffs like once in the last 10 years, you know, there's not, that's, that's not wrong, but certainly of all the teams that Mitchell could potentially look to, go to there are not too many with more connections to his life than the Knicks, which is to say he grew up in the area. His dad has worked for the Mets since forever. And Mitchell is a huge Mets guy. Uh, and also, you know, there, there's just, he's, he's from the area, which is a big thing. And also Leon Rose, you know, has a connection with him as well, which you could say about a, a number of different guys around the league, but none that are in, a situation where they would potentially want to get out more so than than Mitchell, I think, of, of any of those guys that Rose at the star level has those connections with. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, potential point guards and guys of that ilk 
so far. There's not really too many other than maybe the, the final guy we'll talk about, who's obviously a point guard, but maybe a lot less available. They really fit that pure point guard mold. But I think you could just kind of have Mitchell run the offense with R.J. Barrett if that's the direction you want to go. If Julius Randle is still around too, then maybe that's you know a three-headed monster of guys that can all sort of handle the ball and and run the offense on any given possession. And you know, obviously he's he's awesome. His resume speaks for itself. But Gavin, I think the the, the big question is, will the Knicks be able to match the price that Utah will want for him? As he won't really have that much power as far as forcing his way specifically like to the Knicks, he might be able to give Utah a list and they could honor it, but they're still going to feel the bidding war because he has a lot of years left on his contract. Um, and then it, it's what he would cost worth it. You know, I guess that's the other imperative question. How are you feeling? I know we talked about him a number of times, but how are you feeling about Donovan Mitchell in a potential trade right now? Yeah. I'll, I'll throw another uh, Michael Scott quote at you. Poopin, you know how I be. Because that was Donovan Mitchell the first three games of this series, right? He was he was awful. He was I mean not I like you look at the statistics and of course he's he's a brilliant scorer of the basketball, but in terms of playing a winning game and and I think trying to drive his team towards success, like defensively, I mean I mean you could throw this in my Conley too, but he's an excuse because he's old. Like he he's been pathetic in this series and things perked up obviously in game four a little bit, but before that he just looked so disinterested. Interested, And it's this weird because I, I always think of him in terms of the him versus Devin Booker uh, comparison uh, as, as a Knicks fan and a Suns fan. Um, that was that was like the Internet discourse about Mitchell it was like, who's better between those two guys? And like people making the case that's ridiculous that people considered Booker better. Um, and then Chris Paul came into Devin Booker's life and all of a sudden he was pretty locked in defensively. He made another step on offense. And I always was of the opinion that Mitchell had higher highs, but Booker was just a steadier player. And I think the gap between them has increased even more. And it's this weird thing with Mitchell where you're sort of left questioning, all right, in the right context, is he something more than he currently is? Because physically he is all the, I mean, that's what he was known for coming out of Louisville, right? Like he was supposed to be a stopper and hopefully the offense would, would, would be there and be really good. But this guy who's built to the nines has a six eleven wingspan uh, as athletic as, as essentially anyone in the NBA, he's become a better passer. I mean, He's not a consistent passer, but some of the best ones he throws are, are ones that five to 10 guys on earth can throw. Like the overhead hook passes 22 feet on a line are just insane. And they make you think that there's more there with him. Um, he's gotten a lot more efficient from two point range. I think this was the first year he shot over 45% um, on field goals in his NBA career. And he's only 25 years old. So there's a case to be made that like, yes, this is absolutely the dude the Knicks should go all in on. But I have some pause. I'm not as gung ho as I was a couple months ago watching him in this postseason. And I get that I get his frustration because Utah's basically been running back the same broken thing for four straight years. And I, I do think he could be enlivened by coming to New York. But he's to, to David Locke's right point, he's gonna have the same responsibilities in New York that he's gonna have in Utah. He doesn't get to slide in as the number two, he doesn't get to slide in next to a Chris Paul to balance the scales for him. Like he has to be that dude, even if RJ Barrett makes a leap. And we've seen mixed results from that, or at the very least, an inability to play two ways. If I'm New York, though, I think you ultimately probably have to go all in on someone like that. Because this is what we talk about with Zion, too, when we talk about with all these guys. You're never going to get the perfect dude, right? Like LeBron James at age 24 isn't available for a trade. Kevin Durant at 22 isn't available for a trade. There, there's going to be some pop marks on whatever diamond you go after. You just have to pick which one of those slightly flawed diamonds you're going to go all in on. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think with with Mitchell too, the the main thing that's worrying me more so than the skill set, like I think he's obviously very talented, but I think the thing that gives me the most pause is, you know, even for a 25-year-old that can score 25 points per game easily, you know, and has proven that in his career to this point, that other than this postseason has actually had, I mean, individually at least a, a good amount of postseason success, at least scoring the basketball. Um, you know, and being like the engine of a, a playoff team. I, I think the cost is what is really, you know, making me think, how do they get this done? And the, the calculus on a potential Mitchell trade has just changed so much since like this time last year. You know, this time last year, you're thinking, all right, well, Julius Randle was second team all NBA. Obviously, that's the guy. It would be really painful, but, you know, maybe you centerpiece an R.J. Barrett to, you know, to Utah and get back Donovan Mitchell and, you know, build around a Mitchell and and uh, Julius Randle core. And now it's sort of like, well, now Randle's kind of on the outs, you know, and and had himself a terrible year and seemed like he sort of grew disconnected from the team and seems like probably the, the most likely guy to get traded uh, on the Knicks this coming offseason. So can you center a package around Julius Randle, you know, who would be viewed as a talent, but almost more viewed as a salary in this negotiation or a guy to be rerouted somewhere else to get more assets to Utah if they choose to kind of rebuild here? And then how much more of the young talent on the Knicks are you going to have to give up to make up for the fact that now the plan is shifted from pairing, you know, a Donovan Mitchell with a Julius Randle to pairing him with an R.J. Barrett? who you will now want to keep pretty much at all costs, you know, how much more talent and or draft picks are you going to have to include? And does that become worth it then to gut your team for this guy who as the best player on his current Utah team, especially even in a depleted West this year, facing a, a Luka Doncic list uh, Dallas Mavericks, at least for the first three games, you know, couldn't get it done and hasn't been able to get it done. Um, is it, is it worth it? And that's kind of my, my sticking point. And I'm, Honestly, at this point, again, based off the new math that we're dealing with here, where RJ is no longer a potential centerpiece, I'm starting to kind of not want to trade for him as much. No, I think it's I think it's a fair point. And I I guess I could make a case, given uh, where I put those guys respectively in my Knicks young guns rankings, that the move is maybe to just make RJ Barrett the centerpiece and throw in a couple picks. And and who knows if, if that's the top offer Utah would get. But if it is like call it a day there. Um, and, and see what you have with the, with a Mitchell, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, plus a draft pick group. That that sounds pretty appealing to me. But I know there are some people that, I, and and understandably, like you're saying, RJ is completely invested. Um, there's none of the questions of, and like, again, I, I don't want to put too much on Mitchell because I just can't say I know enough about a situation in Utah to really comment on it. But with RJ, there's just like no question about his commitment. There's no question about his commitment to being a two-way guy, even though he was very iffy at points defensively this year. I don't know. I just think, I think there's a case to be made that if you're the Knicks and you're looking down the barrel of that deal, maybe you'd rather trade RJ than be in like every future draft asset that you have. But I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Maybe, maybe a similar one that we're going to have about our next guy, Shea Gilgis Alexander. But first, Alex, uh, if you want to play like these guys, or at least up to your highest potential, uh, there's only there's only one, uh, what, one drink, one supplement out there that, that gets you all the way home, and that is AG1. Our next partner, they have a product that I use every single day, and of course, I'm talking about AG1. 
Uh, I started using it because I, I was tired um, of having to take a million different supplements every day to feel good. And, and there were just all these different things. I got to get a vitamin B in, got to get a zinc in, got to get some other stuff if I want to feel extra good. AG1 covers it all and makes it so much easier. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. I personally love to take it. Um, sometimes I'll go before a workout, but recently I've been doing it right before a broadcast because I find it gives me like that extra extra bit of pep that you want when you're when you're calling a game and that little extra bit of focus too, both of which are extremely health, help, helpful. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. And it supports better sleep quality, which I love. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews. And another cool thing, if you care about the stuff and I do, Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. So that is awesome. For every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S., so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a one-year supply of, immu of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com network to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So Alex, uh, I just... I just mentioned him, but let's get into it. Shay Gilgis Alexander, maybe the least available guy on this list, maybe the most available guy on this list. Who knows what Sam Presti is thinking these days? It's a little bit of a clown show in Oklahoma City, while simultaneously they also have one of the best futures in the NBA, and I'm a little bit jealous of it. So weird dynamic there, um, but there's no real direction in terms of whether they're saying, all right, next year's the year, we're going to throw some of these chips in, we're going to build a real team, or... Let's just see if we can milk this another four or five seasons and, and end up with a thousand draft picks. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, like if I was a betting man, I think they're they're going to do the same thing next year because Presti's ultimate goal, I think, is is Victor Wembanyama out of France. The like seven foot three, I think, just freak athlete, like plays like a wing uh, guy who's who's seven foot three. is like basically like what every Knicks fan talked themselves into Chris Tapsporzingis being. Um, you know, it, it seems like he's, that's what Presti's goal is. And so, you know, I don't know that Presti would go in being like, I want to trade Shea Gilgis Alexander, but I wonder if Shea Gilgis Alexander has the patience to deal with another Presti season, you know, because Presti already during his like three hour long, uh, you know, postseason press conference said like, you know, he got asked pretty much point blank, like, are you going to tank again next year? And and he was like, well, you know, we'll take an assessment. And if at any given point we think that there's not really much to play for anymore, we won't play for much anymore. You know, which is essentially to say if they get 20 games in and they're 5 and 15 again, they're just going to start shutting guys down intermittently again and doing sort of the same thing that they've been doing for these last like three years um, and just sort of blatantly playing the system and losing as many games as they can. And, you know, it's look, I'm, if that's how they want to do it, it's not the first time in NBA history that a team has done it. It's maybe the most they're maybe gunning for the most egregious example of it since like Hinky Sixers. 
um, in pursuit of one particular player. But, you know, if you're a Shea Gilgis Alexander and you're in your early 20s, but you've strung together like some really good seasons and look like you can be an actual star, are, are you going to finally just lose your patience and say to your agent, like, get me out of here? I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to waste another year of my burgeoning prime not playing you know, and not competing for something, especially after he got to taste, you know, some measure of postseason, you know, his first two seasons in the league, he made the playoffs with the Clippers and then made the playoffs with the Thunder that first year with Chris Paul. And since then has not gotten to do anything close to that as Presti has sort of kicked the tank in the full gear. So I think that's the main factor is does Shea want out? And if he does, will Presti just acquiesce and say, all right, we'll find you a way out of here. And then, you know, you look at the the landscape around the league and the Knicks are pretty well equipped to make a bid for a guy like that and offer up some players to the Thunder that would, you know, be productive players for them, but maybe wouldn't influence winning as much as Shea, you know, on an individual level. So that, that could be a selling point. They have a couple extra draft picks that they could throw the Thunder's way as well. Uh, so maybe they become a good landing spot as Shea starts hitting his prime, hitting his max contract years and, you know, hit it, hitting the time where you want to see him lead a team. But I will say this and, you know, I'll throw it to you, Gavin, as far as we, when we start brainstorming like a potential package here, like Shea did for one reason or another, be it legitimate injuries, be it the fact that he was taken out of rhythm so many times by being sat for such extended periods. But he did have sort of a down year this year shooting the ball only shot like 30 percent from three. Um you know, seem to take a bit of a step back from last year, not dissimilar to like a Julius Randle, but maybe not as stark, you know, on the on the effort level and, and impact on winning and stuff. But, you know, th- there's a case to be made that he could potentially come, you know, become available for less than like a Donovan Mitchell and maybe be a better deal for actually a younger player that arguably has better intangibles as far as size and all that stuff. Yeah, I just I, I think. I don't see Oklahoma city letting him go. Like to me of these three guys, he's probably the least likely to get dealt. The the one ray of light is I think Presti sort of prides himself on being very accommodating to players and, and maintaining really good relationships with agents um, to some extent or another, maybe I'm off on that. That's, that's the feel at least I've, I've gotten the last few years with, with some of the buyouts, like when they've gotten guys like an Al Horford or um, a Kemba Walker and have eventually sent them to better destinations. Uh, but uh, he is he is a hell of a talent, man. I mean, he's, he's as good as anyone, if not better than anyone at getting to the rim. Incredibly good at finishing once he gets there. Um, until this year, to your point, he's been a very solid three-point shooter, solid defensively. Um, I'm, I'm just a massive, massive fan of the guy's game. It's like aesthetically, it's a little weird. He's very, he plays it like, a pace and has a start and stop that I, I don't think I've ever seen from anyone else playing basketball, but it works. And I think it lends itself to him aging really well. Uh, I would, I would totally go all in on him. Um, I wonder what the package is. I mean, maybe it is again, just the idea that he has the the ultimate ability to navigate the draft, but I do wonder if there's a little bit of reticence from Presti there because he's, he's collected like th- this pile of gold, right? Like er- early Facebook stock, Bitcoin, whatever, however you want to frame it. 
but I'm wondering if it's not degrading in value a little bit because we all remember last year there were all these rumors, and I think it, I think it did probably happen that he tried to make a big swing and move up from five to get to number one to draft Kate Cunningham presumably or maybe Evan Mobley, maybe Jalen Green, who knows who they wanted, um, and he wasn't able to do it despite having again a million trillion picks. And I'm wondering if at a certain point there are diminishing returns to acquiring all those picks, and if there are. I don't really see any reason for him to sort of deconsolidate talent by turning a Shea Gildas Alexander into an Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, or even into an RJ Barrett. I think if anything, the move for them is to start going the other way and start putting some of these pieces together, some combination of the young guys and all the picks they have into better players. Um, to me, it would be counterintuitive to, to break down a good player in, into two, like maybe really talented, but lesser pieces. Then again, a lot of what, they've done the last couple of years with counterintuitive. So who knows? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I, I think only time will tell, but I, I feel like I do feel like, you know, there is something to what you said about Presty being or, or wanting to be at least, you know, a, a player friendly general manager, despite like, like, I think he wants to be like the player friendly Sam Henke in a way, at least with what he's doing right now. You know what I mean? Like Henke kind of got knocked for treating players a little too much like you know like actual assets you know i know we use the term assets all the time but like treating them like they were just sort of like pawns on his chessboard you know and i think that hinky wants to sort of or sorry excuse me presty wants to sort of you know not be that guy and still be able to have good relationships so that when the time comes he hasn't burned so many bridges through his tanking and how he's treated players and everything that like things sort of fall apart like they did for I, I guess the Sixers. They've made the playoffs a number of years in a row, and now they're sitting pretty good. But you well, know, the things personally fell apart for Hanky. Yes, exactly. Where he sort of just you know lost faith in you know from the from the uh, ownership and everything else, and it seemed like did not have a great rep around the league. So well, and so. notably, has not been hired since then. Exactly. So I I think if Presti, you know, if this whole thing comes together, I think it'll come together very quickly. But it's going to be just a matter of I think it, I think it all comes down to Shea Gilgis Alexander basically and and how he feels and if he has a conversation with them that he doesn't feel as productive to him going forward and how their the team's motivations are going to be I think he might ask out but maybe he's okay with how things have been going and is willing to play the long game and say look I I you guys signed me to my max so I'm making my money no matter what I'll still be here you know if if you get Wembenyama I'll still be on the team and then. We could go try to run it with, you know, me and him and Giddy and all the other guys. You know, maybe they get – Tall lineup of all time there. Yeah, I mean, just – yeah, just like super tall, super crazy talented lineup. That's just – that'll be their whole thing. Um, but at any rate, you know, if, if anybody wants to get big and tall and strong like the future uh, <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder starting lineup that I just predicted, you guys can always – Get some built bars. And you guys know how it goes. Built bars are the best tasting protein bars on the market. They look like a candy bar. They taste like a candy bar. They will not give you all the guilt of a candy bar. However, you don't have to deal with all the calories and fat and sugar and everything else that comes with eating a candy bar because built bars are pretty good for you. They have just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. They come in so many delicious flavors, and if you haven't tried them yet, you can check out Built Puffs, which are 
I, I don't know how to put this any more enticingly, a chocolate-covered protein marshmallow that just reminds you of like a Malamar or something. I, I don't even know. It, it like blew my mind the first time I ate one. It's like almost like a Three Musketeers sort of in that it's just so light and fluffy, but it's giving you all that protein and, and tastes really sweet. You would think there's a lot more than four grams of sugar in it, but there's not. Uh, it's just a, a it blows the mind. I, I can't describe Built Puffs any better, but I will tell you the flavors. They've got churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, and other special edition flavors that come out from time to time. They're just so good. Some of my favorite Built Bars are Puffs, so definitely check those out if you haven't already. If you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Gavin, so our final trade target here. I, I would say this is probably the most unlikely guy to me, but, you know, it, none of these guys are super likely. Uh, they're just, they're kind of moonshots, but... They're the guys I think that, you know, this is the caliber of player that I think the Knicks are really going to target if they're going after guys in trade at this point because they've accumulated the young players, they've accumulated the extra draft picks. You know, this is this is the type of move they got to go for. But DeJounte Murray is our final guy on the Spurs. Uh, just had a career year, averaged nearly a triple-double, made his first all-star team. Um, you know, it was just awesome. You know, it, it helped drag the Spurs to, you know, a, a play-in appearance. And, uh, you know, they ultimately didn't make it in off of that. But I, I thought that, you know, he had a he had a great season individually and really took a step forward. He still struggles shooting the three. He's, he's definitely not a shooter at this point, but he's so dynamic off the dribble. He's so fast. He's so – he's great at reading the floor, a really great rebounder. He's got great size for a point guard. And he is, you know, at, unlike the other two guys on this list, if you are of the belief that the Knicks need a point guard and that Emmanuel quickly is not that guy that you want to trot out there to start a point guard next year, DeJounte Murray, as far as pure point guards go, is is probably the guy on this list and maybe one of the only guys that could potentially become available. Uh, although he himself is also locked up to a contract for a couple more years. I worry, Gavin, that he would cost way too much, much like I've sort of said about some of the other guys on this list. I know, you want to get something in the NBA, you got to give up something. You know, it's not nobody's going to line up to be like, here, New York Knicks, just like take this player that is really talented. And in Murray's case, super underpaid. He's only going to be making uh, not quite 18 million at the top dollar amount of his contract, which stretches, I believe, another three years after this year. Um, you know, it's there's no reason for the Spurs to just be like, Let's just give this guy up for nothing because we feel like it. Um, so he's going to cost something and he would he would need to be motivated to get out of there as well uh, and, you know, ask for a trade. But we have seen the Spurs are also a team that they're not really interested in entertaining having a guy on the team that doesn't want to be there. So presumably if Murray does ask out, they will probably honor it um, and, you know, look for the, the best option for him. But he's probably going to cost a mint because of that affordable contract and his career high production. And the fact that just like the other two guys on this list, he is 25 years old, you know, so he's in the 25 or under club. Uh, I, I don't think it's super likely, Gavin, but how, how aggressive would you be if if you were the Knicks in going after a guy like DeJounte, you know, if, if he would become available? Yeah, I think, yeah, so here's the thing. It, it, it all comes down to whether or not Greg Popovich retires for me. 
because I think if he stays on, they'll have no interest in taking a step back. I mean, they've shown that the last couple of years, despite, I mean, once, once the big three all retired, like that was the, the red light should have gone off and they should have basically done what Oklahoma city is doing. Maybe, maybe not quite as egregiously, but similar. Right. And they never did that because they said, all right, we're, we have the arguably the greatest coach of all time. Let's we're, we're going to compete and we're going to fight as hard as we possibly can. I think pop said it himself in an interview. He's like, He's like, you know, tanking probably would have been smarter than what we've done, but I don't really know how to do that. Um, but in a post-pop world, I mean, maybe they bring back um, someone like like Will Hardy uh, comes in and is the head coach or, or just some some young mind around the NBA, um, kind of like Mark Dagnall in Oklahoma City. And I have a feeling that is the direction that they would ultimately go. And in that world, you say, look, DeJounte Murray is awesome, but he's a guy who who should be the final piece on a team that's ready to compete at a higher level. He shouldn't necessarily be the fulcrum of a rebuilding effort only because I think they'll want to go after that Wembeyama sweepstakes and they'll want to strive to get the number one pick or at the very least a top three, four, five pick in next year's draft. That looks like it could potentially be very good. Um, so I think in that world, they'd be open to trading him and, and maybe they'd be open to doing it for just a, a ton of draft picks and someone like an Emmanuel quickly who they can sort of sell themselves on. Like obviously not in the same universe as Murray as a defender, not nearly as advanced as a passer. Um, but, but maybe someone with like, maybe this is crazy to say, but I would argue maybe a slightly higher ceiling. Um, and that plus a whole lot of picks and maybe a Grimes or an OB thrown in is enough to get it done. And if you're the Knicks, you kind of have to look at that and you say, all right, where are we going with DeJounte Murray? So, so maybe it's a point well-placed by you that for both sides, it just doesn't really make sense. But the dude is a heck of a player. I think the first guy in NBA history to average 20 points, nine assists, eight rebounds and two steals per game in a season. Um, and I think he would give the Knicks a little bit more of that identity that they are so desperately searching for. The other way this goes is we saw the Spurs have a reclamation project in DeMar DeRozan when they traded Kawhi Leonard. Could they have interest in a similar type of deal where it's Julius Randle and again, a million draft picks, obviously in that world, the Knicks probably do it in a second. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You said like, Oh, maybe, maybe you're right. But I think you sort of talked me into it actually. Like it does, it does kind of make sense in the sense of like, even pop might be on board with, you know, Spurs management might not be like, no, no, we like, they'll be like, no, we want to send you off. Right. But pop might be like the best send off for me at this point would be, you know, look, just give me what you give me and maybe I'll guide him to a play in or something, or maybe things will go terrible, but you know, no matter what, like there is something to be said, like when is probably going to be one of those like Tim Duncan level prospects, you know, that like, if you can win that lottery, you might set your franchise up for another 20 years again. And like, you know, the, the Spurs are traditionally a very, like, foreign player-friendly squad. Like, you know, they, they've had a lot of, you know, foreign players with a lot of levels of success there. Weminyama being French, you know, obviously his, his countryman, Tony Parker, made a career in San Antonio that was, like, a Hall of Fame-level career. Like, you know, that there's probably going to be something to that. You know, if they can get him there, that he might, you know, look at that as his forever home, you know, and be like, I just want to be a spur for life because I like this organization and I like what they do and and all this and how they treat foreign players and everything else. So maybe next year is the time for the Spurs to just kind of be like, all right, you know, cool. We've, we've had our fun, but like, clearly this is going nowhere. And if we keep trying to just kind of like tread water, we're not going to really do the franchise any good, you know, and, and it might be more advantageous to just sort of sell high on Murray after the best season of his career and, you know, get back in Emmanuel quickly or something. And, you know, if I'm the Knicks, it, it would be painful. I mean, I, I love quickly too as a as a fan. It would it would be devastating because I'd be like, damn, we were just seeing this guy start to like really put it together to end this year. But 
Murray's a guy that has already put it together. You know, there's no doubt about it. He's 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 well put together at this point. Um, I don't think they would go for something like a Julius Randle because I think, to your point, if they decide to make this move, that means they're finally just embracing like, all right, let's just let's just try to find our next Tim Duncan at this point. You know, and and we'll trust our scouting staff and and you know our Spurs culture and everything else. And you know, if it means that Pop's last few years are spent just kind of mentoring some youth players then so be it too you know it, it is what it is at that point um you know for the for the good of the franchise but yeah it, it's it's an intriguing one you know like i said i i came into this thinking like oh not super likely but I, I think you actually talked me into it like i think there's a world where the spurs might consider this if they're if they're willing to finally take that plunge and and just rip the band-aid off and say look we've tried six different ways to extend you know the the magic of the tim duncan era you know for a little longer but it that that's all gone at this point you know there's no more DeRozan, there's no more lamarcus aldridge there's there is a Dejounte murray but he by himself is not gonna usher them into that next year but might also keep them along with pop just good enough to avoid you know a high lottery pick so i i maybe at this point they just decide okay it's time to time to move on and and time to just deal murray while the going's good and and uh you know try their luck at hitting a top prospect in next year's pretty talented draft from what I understand. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great note to end on. And in turn, it's time for us to move on. We will wrap up our summer point guard primer. If you missed any of the previous episodes, uh, we've gone a whole lot of different directions. We of course talked about Emmanuel quickly um, and, and Deuce McBride and everyone currently on the team. We, Alex uh, did an incredible show uh, talking about potential draft options, specifically focused in on Dyson Daniels. If you missed that, certainly go check it out. Uh, over the weekend, I got to talk to Nick Engstad and um, Chris Manning of both of the Locked On Podcast Network about point guards on the teams that they cover, Jalen Brunson and Colin Sexton. And uh, you just listened to this one. So you're all caught up. Congratulations. Uh, we will move forward with other positions. Uh, we will have uh, a cool guest on this week. That'll be a lot of fun. And a whole lot more to look forward to on Locked On Knicks. So stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Throw us some comments. Throw us some likes. Uh, certainly keep listening to the podcast in audio form as well. And we will talk to you soon. But until then, be good. Peace out. <laughs>